Welcome to the Grow Podcast. I'm Christy McSweeney, and if you run a business or are thinking of taking the leap, this podcast is for you. I'll be interviewing special guests who run small businesses to large corporations. Each episode will include practical tips and advice to help your business thrive in this changing environment, relayed to you by people who have done it, are doing it, and some who have even done it multiple times. Proudly presented to you by Census, Australia's number one supporter of small and medium-sized businesses. Today, I will be chatting with two guests about the ethical sourcing of products. Hannah Guy and James Bartle are both founders of ethical fashion brands. As Australians are demanding more and more transparency around retail supply chains and where their products are sourced from, Hannah and James talk to us today about their journey of creating ethical manufacturing bases in Cambodia. Hannah was the co-founder and CEO of Dorsu. Based in Cambodia, Dorsu creates capsule wardrobe essentials for men and women. Dorsu was founded on the principles that clothing should be produced in a way that embraces people and causes as little harm to the environment as possible. James Bartle is the founder of Outland Denim. Outland Denim was founded as an avenue for the training and employment of women who have experienced sex trafficking in Cambodia. Hannah and James, thank you so much for your time. James, can you give us a brief overview of your business? We started about 10 years ago after I was made aware of what it looked like for somebody to be stolen and sold for a range of reasons. But I actually witnessed a young girl that was being sold for sex in Thailand. And it was a moment for me that was life-changing. It was unfathomable to me that somebody could be placed in a position like that. And so that led to wanting to create a business model that addressed this problem, you know, learning that so many of the the people around the world that are made vulnerable to these kinds of situations, it's caused by poverty a lot of the time. And so we knew that it was an economic problem. And if we wanted to address it, then we felt the business was the best way to do it. And so that led us on this journey of trying to make beautiful denim jeans that would be saleable around the world and that the byproduct of producing this gene would be that people would be given greater opportunity as a result of it. And so that's led us to today having a business that has two manufacturing facilities in Cambodia where we employ staff from varied backgrounds. It could be that they've come from just being from a poor family. They may have been uh, trafficked and sold into other countries for a range of reasons. But one thing that they all have in common is that they're there to create a much broader future for themselves and their families. We then sell those genes around the world. And so we have a market in Canada, the US and here in Australia. And the market's been growing. It's been something that we've seen a huge uptake in not just our product, but ethically made products. And when we launched at the end of 2016, after the first six years of proving that the business could have this kind of impact on people and also having an impact on the planet in a positive way or reducing the negative impact on the planet, we launched our brand. And it's just been uh, an amazing journey since then, just watching the way that consumers are changing their buying behaviors to align up with brands like ours. Hannah. You began the business producing and selling one-off dresses and t-shirts to passing tourists in Cambodia in 2007. How did the business evolve from there? We did start very small as a one-stop shop in a tourist town. It was very localised. We were working on our store floor. So you could come in and see what was being made. You could choose something and have it made for you. And then 
second step into rebranding, changing our products, changing our market, we essentially wiped the table clean about six years ago. And after realising that there was demand for our way of operating and that people were really interested in finding out the story behind the clothing that they were buying, we decided to um, scale. So we morphed into what we sort of consider our second stage of operation and that involved launching a collection of basics across multiple countries and ended up getting to the point we owned multiple retail stores and then also stocking in retail stores across the world while also transitioning into making custom merchandise for companies. So yeah, we've grown a lot bigger and become a business that's still inherently known for being able to show you exactly what happens on the production floor and and the conditions under which we operate. It's just that we're operating at a much larger scale now. Hannah and James, question to both of you. What were some of your challenges in setting up a business in an already established market? Oh gosh, man, the, the challenges in entering the denim market was, you know, pretty overwhelming really when you when you step back and look at it. But when I started, I had no idea that the denim industry was going to be so competitive. And I didn't even know that jeans were so difficult to make, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, I went into it being really naive. And I think that naivety was something that has been of benefit because it's meant that I haven't realized what I was trying to accomplish. And it meant that I didn't see barriers where others did see them. And so in my mind, there was no reason we couldn't create beautiful jeans that could be sold around the world. Our segment of the market wasn't necessarily established when we started. So although basics have been around for a very long time, we were bringing in a product that was about transparency and we were bringing it in at an affordable price. So I found when we first started growing, I was really frustrated with the fact that the pricing and cost of a garment that honoured your values was very exclusive. And I didn't believe that it was okay to limit that to a certain demographic of people who could afford a $120 t-shirt, a $160 t-shirt. I felt like that actually went against what we were trying to do in giving access to clothing and to the story behind of clothing to anybody who felt that that was important. So although the broader market was very established, we actually struggled a lot in the beginning because we found that we were constantly talking to people about whether they'd ever considered where their clothing had come from and whether they'd considered about what mass manufacturing does to the world or whether they'd considered what an alternative could look like if you knew the business behind what your clothing was coming from. And I actually found that the segment that we fit into wasn't necessarily established. So that was super challenging. Hannah and James, a question to both of you. Both of your brands, Outland Denim and Dorsu, manufacture ethically and sustainably overseas. Talk us through your reasoning behind choosing the countries that you do manufacture in. Choosing Cambodia as the the country we're producing really came down to, I guess, the, the very first trip that I took through Southeast Asia. And it was being made aware of how many people were being exploited in Southeast Asia, all the way around the world. But I started in Thailand and I saw horrific things happening there. 
that that changed my worldview, that changed the trajectory of my entire life. I then traveled through to Cambodia and and what I saw there was that there was a lot of poverty. You know, the, the country had suffered a lot already and, you know, my heart was for the people. I just wanted to see something better, a bit greater opportunities, as you, especially as you meet individuals and you start to get to know them and get to know their real struggles, the daily struggles, you know, it's it's compelling for anybody when they see it firsthand to want to be a part of a solution for them. And so my choice to work in Cambodia was purely out of meeting these people, seeing a need, and then going, I feel like we could do something to help. And that's where we are. We chose Cambodia because we were there. I had been exploring models of businesses as community development. And when you're in Cambodia, you can't not see the impact of the conventional garment industry. It's around you. And every time you travel, you're surrounded by trucks holding hundreds of people at a time. Every time you see factories, the walls and the barbed wire, you see people coming out of work at certain times in the thousands. You see the mass-produced goods in the markets surrounding you. And so I was there and I met my business partner. She was Cambodian and we, we started a business. So it wasn't an active choice as an Australian to travel out to Cambodia to go and manufacture in Cambodia. I was there exploring things that could be done and wanting to create something that really broke the conventional charity model in Cambodia with such a confronting and aggressively damaging history. James and Hannah, what approach did each of you take to your supply chain? When you get involved in the first tier of a supply chain at the manufacturing level, you're exposed to a lot of the potential risks that people face just at that level. And then the further back you go, like you know that there is people being impacted in a positive or negative way all the way back to wherever the fibres are being grown. And so for us, it meant that we needed to uh, have a confidence level with the suppliers that we were going to work with. Tracing a supply chain, I was a small business 12 years ago with one business partner and a few thousand dollars in the bank is close to impossible, to be honest. The development that has happened across the industry in tracing supply chains would make something starting up something now so, so, so much easier than starting up when we did. So our like knowledge of supply chains, obviously, when you get into something and you're very young and you think it's going to be a great idea, instantly involves a ton of research and learnings and hard lessons. But we prioritised from the beginning to keep our supply chain as tight as we possibly could. And that wasn't as strategic as it sounds. It was a resources-based decision, knowing what we could cover and what we couldn't and what kind of position we were in being in southern Cambodia in a time where you were still visiting internet cafes to log on to the internet wasn't even available across the town. So we chose to source fabrics within Cambodia where they are not produced and that left us with working with textile waste left over from the conventional garment industry. We suddenly became involved in screen printing. So we were exposed to an industry of screen printers who work Riverside in Phnom Penh and dispose of all of their waste in the river because it's a practical, feasible, logical thing to do in 2009 if you're running a business and you're left over with chemicals and you need to put them somewhere. So obviously we had to find screen printers who were number one willing to learn about what impact that had on their own environment and also meet standards that we we wanted and we could only find one in the country. And so we established a relationship with them and ended up working with them for 12 years and their business grew alongside ours. So as far as transparency on 
on our working conditions, we've always offered that up straight straight up on our website, frankly, but also as clients come in and engage with us, they're interested in looking over our handbook and interested in looking over our policies and understanding why a business would work five days instead of six or what kind of labour conditions. But again, frankly, that involved a certain level of education and explaining to people that legally it is normal to run a six-day work week in Cambodia and and that as a buyer in Sydney or Melbourne that they were contacting a company that was offering an above standard employment condition, but they at the time were looking to sort of tick a box on fair trade or fair trade practices So for years, it really involved educating ourselves and simultaneously educating people that we were involved in, whether they were within our supply chain or whether they were buying from us and we wanted them to show more interest and understanding in supply chains. Hannah and James, what feedback do you receive from your customers? It's amazing sometimes. I mean, sometimes it's not all positive. (laughs) People are sceptical sometimes as well. You know, people, they mightn't be a customer yet. They might be someone engaging on social media and they may have a a basic understanding or they've read an article and and they think that that we could be out there just, you know, being a part of the whole greenwashing movement. But more often than not, it's really positive excited in the fact that that they themselves made this difference you know we can make products all day long and create these kinds of opportunities for as many people as products we can make but if we can't sell those products then this thing doesn't doesn't actually work so at the end of the day the most important person in this process is that person buying it and i think that our customers really engage with that they know that they're a part of the solution that they've been a part of changing somebody's life and we put a little thank you message that's written on the inside of our garments that customers sometimes see when they buy it and sometimes they don't see it until they've been washing the product and they have their gene inside out and they see this message on the inside we know again that we we can't change anyone's life without people loving our product and so when we get good reviews on our website or you know we get an email from somebody or a social media comment saying how much they love our product and they've had it for all this time that's always really exciting for our entire team here and we love reading that we get a variety of feedback based on what customers are buying our products for so sometimes it's it's just as nice to have someone confirm that they've worn their t-shirt six years in a row and are only just starting to consider replacing it and coming back for the same one because they haven't found one that fit in the same way. And just as much as someone who writes through and acknowledges our work and what we're doing and, and why we're doing it. So we've always tried to remain really open to customers and we've had the privilege of being able to meet them in person through having our own stores whilst also selling online. So the variety is good. The feedback is generally constructive any issues, people always appreciate that they're, they're speaking with a real brand. And that's when I really begin to understand the power of what we're doing. A question to both of you, what advice would you provide to people who were thinking of ethical sourcing of products? You know, I think one of the greatest, greatest things that we can do is, is reflect a little bit of self-reflection and your motivation for wanting to source things ethically. It's not straightforward. It's not an easy path to follow. But that's where I feel like you need to know whether you're really committed to wanting to 
create solutions, be part of positive solutions to problems, or you just want to tick a box. If you just want to tick a box, there's heaps of factories that can tick that box for you and give you an audit or a certificate to say that on that day, things were good. And much of the time, it is good all the time. There is lots of great factories out there and great suppliers out there doing the right thing. There are. But if you're someone that says that, actually, I don't want to sleep at night knowing that my products are a part of the problem, knowing that people's lives are being destroyed as a result of me profiting from these, the creation of these products, then it is going to be a more difficult road. But it's a necessary road. And you will come to understand things that you didn't want to understand, but you'll also come to understand that you can be a really important player in changing the future for the people within your supply chain. Understanding the complexities of procuring goods in a more just and kind and environmentally friendly way, I think, is second to deciding whether you need to buy anything at all. We are facing massive environmental issues. Our planet is covered in things. And mass manufacturing, I think, is one of the biggest mistakes that we've made as humans. But if it does come to procuring, I think understanding that you are about to embark on a journey, as James has explained. And I think COVID and the climate crisis has taught us that we don't need to be operating at a pace that we have been before. And while people are beginning to contemplate their models of work and their models of family life and the models of the way they run their companies, we need to be contemplating the models of the way that we buy things because there is an incredible amount of greenwashing out there. And if as a company or as an individual, as a school, all of the different people that buy clothing that may not even have anything to do with clothing in their general operations, as we come on to making a decision that we'd like to be more conscious about where our things come from, it can be tempting to see a flashy ad that says sustainable or ethical or, or some sort of buzzword, swipe your credit card and be like, great, awesome, I've solved that and move on. And it's, it's not what it's about. It isn't a line item and it's not a tick box. And acknowledging our own capacity, seeking information, seeking suppliers who are doing much, much more than slapping a label or, or kind of very ambiguously listing that they have considered their supply chain. We've got, we've got to sharpen up. And if you're looking to procure for your store, if you're looking to procure for your organisation, there's going to be someone on the other end of the phone that can have a conversation with you about the supply chain. And I think information is a lot more accessible than we believe or we think if we prevent that incredibly tempting habit of just being like, cool, this is sort of done and moving on. It shouldn't be to make yourself feel better. It should be to go on a journey to learn the complexities and put it on your radar. And that can happen in many facets. So I guess the simple... <laughs> solution <laughs> is to begin to be open because there isn't a simple solution and seeking information will only lead you to learning more and um, doubling down on things that you are told by certain suppliers or certain brands because yeah audits and labels and and awards and things don't really count if that work isn't ongoing and if that work has been temporarily assessed and building a relationship with the people that sell you your things may mean that you have to buy less things and from less sources but i think that's probably better for the world anyway 
James, one last question on a different topic. You experienced the Markle effect in October 2018 when the Duchess of Sussex visited Australia and wore Outland denim jeans. What was the impact on your business when that happened? Wow, the Markle effect is a real thing. You know, it it completely transformed our business. It gave us media attention all the way across the world. We had the biggest retailers in the world calling us wanting our product. We sold out of the exact product that she wore, our Harriet Black jean in, I think, 48 hours. If we had millions of those jeans, it felt like they would have sold. It was just an unbelievable experience. But I think the greatest thing of all, that it did create an opportunity for us to employ 46 new seamstresses from varied backgrounds. And so I think that's where it becomes really meaningful. It was, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of exposure. But when you know that the power that this lady had to be able to expose this little brand to the world and the direct impact of that was that 46 new people had this opportunity to have a different future was, I, I think, really heartwarming. And I think it's that story that the world warmed to. And to this day, we still get lots of opportunities as a result of Megan Markle endorsing our product. Hannah and James, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you both today. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you, Christy. Cheers. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to The Grow Podcast. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Census, Australia's number one supporter of small and medium-sized businesses.